0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian
1: Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's weekly podcast. I'm John Howard of Capital Weekly. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And by Paul Mitchell, VP of Political Data, Inc. Hey, happy to see you. Thank you very much for participating, Paula. As usual, the best part of this conversation was before we turned the microphones on. So, But we're going to recap a little bit of that. Paul, uh, I wonder if you could chat a little bit about voter registration this year. I know you've been looking at it, and there's some new data coming in from the counties, I guess. What's cocaine? Yeah,
2: so we're right at the 60-day close before registration. People can still register to vote, but this is kind of a time period where the Secretary of State will put out some new numbers, and we're also getting new, fresh county voter files mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for all of our clients. And as that data comes in, we're able to do some analysis and really kind of break it up and try to understand what's happening with the electorate, because... You could presume that whatever's happening now in registration is kind of a foreshadowing of what's likely to happen in June in terms of turnout and how excited the electorate is about the election. Mm
1: -hmm. I know we were talking earlier, um, I I tend to look at total voter registration numbers county by county, uh, but you're talking about, you mentioned uh, it's also really important to look at the purge, the purge file. What's going on with the purge When you look at the total number
2: of registered voters in the counties or the state total registration, you get kind of the wrong picture sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Total registration is a function of new registrations and re-registrations minus any voters who have been taken off of the voter rolls for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And Orange County, as an example, just announced that they were purging, or not purging, making it inactive, 108,000 voters. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they took 108,000 voters in the county that they found had not voted once in any of the last four statewide elections. So that means any of the 2014 or 2012 elections. A campaign consultant would call these Mm zero-fours. And so they're just making those voters inactive. These voters, if they do go to the polls, would be able to vote, but they're not going to get mailed ballot materials. They're going to be treated as... Probably non-voters because they either died or moved or. Whatever. you ever
1: get anything in the mail, the voters saying, "Hey, if you don't do the, you know." Yeah, gonna-
2: oftentimes, especially if they uh, if the county sees that they've changed a name, yeah, uh, like when somebody changes a name from Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn Jenner, they get a little card saying, "Did you uh, re-register vote? Did you move? Is there?" And if they don't respond to that card, then mm-hmm. they will be put on the inactive rolls, mm-hmm. and. Um, So that is done because counties don't want to disenfranchise voters, uh, but at the same time, they don't want to send mailers that cost money and potentially are going to the wrong addresses and wrong people and send absentee ballots, as an example, to those voters um, if there's a good reason to believe that those voters are, in fact, not there anymore. Mm -hmm, They've moved or they've died or they're just inactive. And so as counties grow in terms of their total registration on the Secretary of State reports, they're also shrinking as they purge. And this, the quantity of voters that get purged is significant. Um, We found almost a million voters that have been purged since 2014 statewide. And this rule that Orange County employed of 004, if you were to use that in L.A. County, you would effectively purge one-fifth of the voters in L.A. County, Wow! if you were to try to use that same construct. So mm-hmm. counties will continue to purge, they'll continue to grow, and when you interpret statewide or county numbers, you don't get to see the nuance between those. But we can.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you have a bad, potentially bad turnout going into the election, not, I, I don't know if we'll have that this time or not, but we have in the past, especially in Los Angeles... Um, the fewer bo- voters you have from the get-go going into the election means your turnout, potentially your turnout, is even going to be worse. Is well, that- it is
2: one of those weird things. Like, um, we talk about declining regist- de- declining turnout. Turnout, of course, is a function of taking the number of people who voted and dividing it by the number of people registered. Mm-hmm. If L.A. County, presumably in this election, wanted to spike their turnout, they could make 20% of their voter file inactive and as a result, their quote-unquote turnout rate or, would oh, be increased. Okay. So I don't suggest that counties are trying to do that or game that, but that is part of what needs to be sometimes unpacked when you're actually looking at yeah. post-election analysis and turnout. And we do that somewhat in PDI, uh, where when we do turnout percentages for clients, we actually remove the dead and moved people, people who mm-hmm. are dead mm-hmm. per the Social Security records or moved based on U.S. Postal you know, forwarding address uh, data. And um, so our percentages of turnout is actually a smidgen different than what gets reported by the state because we're looking at those nuances. Mm -hmm. And when we're doing this analysis of the registrations that are coming in, we're able to not just look at how much has a county grown or shrunk, but we're able to look at uh, when the person registered to vote, And also importantly, whether this is a new registration by somebody who has not been previously a part of the political process, or it's a re-registration, or somebody who's just, you know, updating their address, updating their partisanship. Mm-hmm. or uh, changing a
0: name or some other. Now, if someone is purged, that actually has a different impact when they go to vote versus someone who's on the inactive file. Is yeah, that correct? It, it, this is getting into
2: a lot of the nuance within the county registrars, but generally inactive is a term meaning that they're you know not seen as a likely voter, or an active voter. There's reason to believe that they've moved or something else. Um, but then purged means that they're just gone. Mm-hmm. If they went to the county and tried to vote, and they were purged, then they wouldn't be able to vote. They uh, they could fill out a provisional ballot, which anybody can, but then when they actually went through the process of trying to identify yeah. whether this person made a legitimate vote, it wouldn't count.
1: You know, we've we've talked about elections, but uh, Tim and I knew before, before we got on the air here, uh, we were talking about the other elections that we don't hear much about, and those are the elections for delegates in the 53 districts, uh, congressional districts, because uh, these delegates are, are allocated proportionately in both parties, correct? Well, no, actually, they're
2: uh, in the Republican primary, uh, the congressional races are winner take all okay. at the congressional district. Okay. So it's quote unquote, it's like a mixed proportional. It's the Ted Cruz or, or Donald Trump or John Kasich will win some proportion of the California delegates, but they are allocated. Winner-take-all at the congressional-level district.
1: Okay, district-wide, it's winner-take-all. Yeah, and okay. then
2: in the, on the on the Democratic side, there's more delegates given out per congressional district, six in each congressional district, um, but those are given out proportionally the congressional district as well. So Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are bound to both win delegates leaving California, uh-huh. and uh, they'll win those at the congressional district level where in, say, the congressional district we're in, Uh, Hillary will win three delegates, and Bernie Sanders will win three delegates. Uh
1: Okay. So the elections in these 53, just just for example, the Democratic side, we're going to actually have elections. We're going to have mini-elections of some sort. Uh, The locals gather, and people vie for, they want to go to Washington to be your delegate. Yeah.
2: There's a process of getting together uh, Democratic activists and Republican activists, and it might be at you know a Union Hall for one, or at a... Uh, some other kind of meeting room or whatever, and they will actually get together and they will, amongst them, elect the delegates to be uh, the representative for Ted Cruz, if it's the Ted Cruz convening or the (coughs) Donald Trump convening, and
1: uh, they will elect those people to go to the national convention. Who... who, um, monitors this? I mean, how how are the votes counted? I mean, I saw that it was a caucus in Iowa, and I saw somebody flicking a coin, and everybody stood around, and they, oh, it's going to be you. So, I mean, I don't know. Are the rules here? Do we have a coin flip? Do we have... I actually don't know if we have high
2: cards or coin flips for people who are uh, uh, running for those. Essentially, what will happen, though, is that this is a closed process. The state doesn't administer these. The state doesn't pay for these. Uh, this okay. is a closed process where local activists go... Um, when I did it once, or when a friend of the podcast, Scott, did you Leigh, try to be just, a delegate one time? Um, I did run for to be a Jerry Brown delegate in 92. Uh, and, or it was 91, I think. I, oh, no,
1: it was 92 when they actually did it. Um, you know, you can't Scott see us on the radio, but you're actually older than you look because you look like you're about 25 I'm, right now. I'm older than Ted Cruz, which really <laughs> is. Whoa, really
0: Whoa. that's me. good or bad. It's I don't very know. Bad. But so so you could be the Zodiac Killer. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, could be.
2: I, I actually have a tangent story about the Zodiac Killer, but I won't get into Uh-oh. it. Uh, the reporter that covered him used to stay at my house when I was a kid. Well, um, wow.
1: Uncle Paul, well, I used to call him. <laughs> Paul uh, Avery. I know Paul Avery. I knew Paul Avery. Yeah. Yeah, Uncle Paul used to stay at the house. I ran um, him in, in a surprise restaurant in the Delta many years ago called Rogelio's. But that's another story. That's we'll another talk about it. Yeah.
0: All right, we've got to b- b- decrease the tangent yeah. here. Back, back
1: to... Uh, back to uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, uh,
2: anybody can run in these. It's the most active party activists that go to them. The delegates have to commit. I am a Hillary delegate. I am a Bernie delegate. And they will elect their slates. And uh, if in this congressional district... Hillary Clinton wins all the delegates, then the entire six delegates elected for the Hillary, you know, in that congressional district will go to the convention. If Bernie Sanders and Hillary split, then it will be the top vote-getters among those delegates that, that will actually go. And there are people who are friends of the podcast and in the Sacramento political community who are actually running for these delegate spots.
1: Okay. If I wanted to run or Tim wanted to run... Uh, who do we show up to to say, hey, we want to run? Or we, is there anybody? You'd have to be registered as a Democrat.
2: Uh-huh. Um, and uh, there's little... I guess you probably go on Facebook or talk to somebody who's running and find out where those yeah. meetings are.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and is this something... Uh, Do delegates have any clout outside of the delegate process? I mean, I I know these people who are running into delegates are probably people who are very engaged in the process. But does it give you anything outside of bragging rights once you're done? Fame and attention and, you know. Groupies. There
2: are delegate groupies probably. Um, (laughs) But you get to go to the convention. And you have an actual role at the convention. And it's definitely something, I think, for people who are active in politics. Uh, thinks to themselves, yeah. someday I want to be a delegate, I want to go to the convention
1: are they bound uh for more than one the first ballot i don 't know all the intricacies yeah. of the
2: national convention process. Yeah. Um, I do know that uh, you know that 's going to be something all the campaigns are going to be focusing on uh, coming particularly in the republican race yeah.
0: well there's been a tremendous focus on delegates that i 've never seen in any election in my lifetime
1: yeah. because you
0: too. of you know the of course people are obsessed on the Democratic side with the superdelegates and then the delegates switching. I just saw a news story floating around about questions about how many delegates Clinton will get in Wyoming versus Sanders. And, you know, the Sanders uh, fans are howling about what they see as impropriety. And then, of course, on the Republican side, uh, there's all been all sorts of delegate shenanigans. I, I don't know if that's a fair way to characterize it, but things that are unexpected to say.
2: And I think that this is one of the most interesting things about the election, if you are to look at it from the macro level. And and it has to do with the primary process as it was created in America was originally more a process of state legislators and party leaders selecting the nominee for the party, and then those nominees for each of the parties go and have a general election where the voters get to decide who's going to be the next president of the United States. Mm -hmm. That has shifted to a process whereby we have primaries and caucuses and not the big party bosses and not the state legislatures, but the people decide who's going to be the nominee for each of the political parties. But it never made that full shift. It has one foot in one... Kind of entire structure and ideology, and another foot in the other uh, kind of the people's ideology about how elections are run and what it means to be in a democracy. So we have our foot in one of each of these two very conflicting views of how the party should be electing their nominees mm-hmm. and how presidents are elected. And and so I think the reason that we're having this um, focus on these delegates this election year is because on both sides, but particularly on the Republican side, we are coming down to a conflict between these two very opposing thoughts about how elections happen. And if the delegates at the convention do essentially uh, overturn the public will in these caucuses and primaries and out of the Republican convention, which would be the most likely place it would happen, out of the Republican convention, they elect somebody who was not the chosen, candidates with the mo- chosen yeah. candidate with mm-hmm. the most delegates. Yeah. I think it'll bring to a head this inherent conflict that has been kind of brushed over for the last several presidential elections, mm-hmm. where this conflict between what we're being told about our primaries, and that these are the ways in which you elect the nominees, and what is actually... The legacy of the primary system, which was that primaries are about the
0: parties and the establishment selecting candidates that would go forward to the general election. And do you think, uh, we don't have a caucus system in California, obviously, but do you think that the caucuses also show that history in a different way? I mean, the caucuses
2: uh, are less, little d, democratic than the primaries. Right. And so I definitely think that these bring that issue a little bit more to the fore Because in some states, in order to participate in a caucus, you have to be there for hours. Um, Mm. You know, I did caucus Mm. caucus simulations when I was in college back in Washington D.C. before the '96 election cycle, and these are elaborate, long process of people standing on different sides of the rooms and negotiating with each other to switch switch candidates. Seems much more old timey. It is old timey, but it's also anti-democratic-y, yeah. like it's it's old-timey, um, and it reflects a value, I think, that has kind of been pushed aside in our election process, it, it, it reflects a value of let's let the people who know the most, let's let the party people who are the most engaged, select these nominees first, and then, then let's let the you know masses weigh in in the general election and actually decide who's going to be the next president. And uh, we've shifted our entire language to the idea that that the masses do decide both primary and general. But we haven't kept up with changing the process to being one in which purely the people decide. So I think that this inherent conflict between the, the old and the new primary structures is probably the most
1: fascinating macro issue. We, we see that in... Uh... In the dispute, I mean, the debate between closed primaries and open primaries, as well, mm-hmm. uh, the fear of those who oppose open primaries of having someone in the opposite party, having voters in the opposite party come in and vote for years, it, This is sort of the same. This is sort of the same argument, where I guess the closed primary is more beneficial to the party. Yeah, and we have two
2: different primary structures in California. We have the closed primary for the Republicans mm-hmm. and a semi-open primary for the Democratic. Party. In the Democratic Party primary, they'll allow anybody who's a Democrat or anybody who is a NPP declined to state no party preference voter. It, they will not allow a Libertarian to vote in the Democratic primary. A, a Libertarian sem- Party member, a Libertarian Party member, or an American Independent Party right. member, Got or right. a Natural Law, or whatever Peace and Freedom. None of those party members can vote in the in the Democratic primary, and no Republican can vote in the Democratic primary. So it's not a truly okay. open primary like the U.S. Senate race is going to be. Okay, um, but it is a semi-open primary. And allows, it's interesting, it allows more people into the process, so it could theoretically dilute the big D Democratic nature of that electorate. Uh-huh. So in a way, you could dilute the power of partisan Democrats because, let's say, a bunch of independents come into the process who are Bernie supporters. So uh-huh. now you're diluting the power of the parted Democrats. Yeah. On the flip side, the argument could be made... That if, if you're inviting independents to come in and vote for one of your presidential candidates in the primary, yeah. they're more likely to be with you in the general. Mm-hmm. And if somebody can't make that commitment to vote for Ted Cruz in the primary, then they're kind of going into the general having not voted for Ted Cruz versus going to the general and they've already kind of made their – they've lodged themselves into a Ted Cruz camp and so they're more likely to vote for Ted Cruz in the general. Oh, okay. So it's an interesting process.
1: Well, on that note of locking ourselves into a Ted Cruz camp, uh, I want to thank you very much for being with us on Capital Weekly's weekly podcast. Paul Mitchell, thank you very much. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Of course. Oh, by the way, a plug, a shameless plug. Um, that was the bell saying. That's the <laughs> <laughs> uh Paul Mitchell also is the author of CA120, our version of, I guess, 538. Uh, we do data, or Paul does data. And uh, examines data and looks at trends and all that other stuff. And, and John rigorously it. edits it and, yeah. and makes sure that it's non-biased and no sneaky stuff. Yes, yeah. so I keep sneaking in biased stuff, but people spot it. So it's been fun to do,
2: and <laughs> it is. We are, you know, trying to do a little bit in California of what uh, Nate Silver has done with yeah, five thirty eight cool. and trying to bring data to people in a way that's more fun and interesting. And and I don't try to compare myself to Nate Silver, but you know. No.
1: So thank you both. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time around. Thank you. All right. Thank you.